Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio, the world's most dangerous podcast. This is episode number 263. I'm Chad Dotson with me again this week, your friend and mine, the godfather, Bill Lack. How are you, Bill? Making you an offer you can't refuse. Uh-oh. Hope I don't wake up with a uh, horse's head in my bed. Uh, some people are going to get that. Our younger viewers may not uh, get that reference. but If they've never seen The Godfather, they need to quit listening right now and go watch it. They can wait till they finish listening to this. No, you, you, you can't even become a, a, a real human being if you haven't seen The Godfather. No, that's an interesting theory of uh, humanity, but let's, <laughs> let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds, shall we? The Reds, of course... <laughs> Yeah, I know you're excited to do that. Uh, the Reds began the season famously one and eight, and uh, just a disastrous start. An eight-game losing streak after the opening day victory over Pittsburgh, and six and a half games out of first at that point, and ugh, not so good. But then they won four in a row: three against Miami, one against St. Louis down in that series in in Mexico, and you know pulled back out of last place and. Move back as close as three and a half games behind first. And then promptly, after winning four in a row, the Reds have now, as we record this, lost four in a row after uh, losing the last game of that series in Mexico and getting swept by the Los Angeles Dodgers in L.A. So the Reds now sit 5-12, and 12, back seven games under five hundred, and uh, last place, six games out. Uh, what, <clears throat> Bill, what are you thinking about this team at this point? This has been a strange season so far. Yeah, it really has. Uh, and you, and you, it was, it's the hated Los Angeles Dodgers for people that are my age, because I still hate the Dodgers. The old National League West days. The old National League West days. That's right. Um, it, this team cannot continue to play this bad. They just can't. It's, it's just statistically impossible. <laughs> Thank you. We actually agree on something. Here. OPS plus is three. <laughs> Is I've that, never seen one that I've never seen one in single digits, much less three. <laughs> is that bad? I think it is. <laughs> Yikes! That's ninety-seven percent below average. Yeah, it, it could not Yikes. have been. But here's what gets me: is you know, yeah, that's terrible. But there's almost no one. I think you could maybe say that Eugenio Suarez is is hitting well, and I don't have too much of a problem with the two catchers. But everyone else has been, frankly, miserable. Yeah. Is, is there anyone other than those guys that you would say has been even passable as a big league hitter? Uh, you can make the impre- You can make the argument that Dietrich has been effective at you know, at, you know, at times. Philip Irvin, and he's what two at bats? Has two at bats. That's true. He is hitting five hundred. He's and he's got a two thousand OPS and a three eighty seven OPS plus. <laughs> that ain't bad. <laughs> you, you know what? Con- I'll tell you what concerns me offensively about this team more than anything is the lack of selectivity and, 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 and the fact that they're not working counts. That really concerns me. It's, it's just so contrary to what we were, what we were led to believe that we were going to get with this new pitch or the new hitting coach and what this team had done in the past. It's, it's almost like they're, they're, they're trying so hard that they're taking themselves out of what they're good at. Yeah, you know, yesterday, uh, our buddy Joel Luckup 
tweeted out uh, that the Reds uh, have a two had a two oh five before uh, the last game of the Dodgers series. Reds had a two oh five team batting average. That's the lowest through sixteen games since at least nineteen oh eight. Two seventy six on base percentage, lowest since nineteen sixty six. And then what I thought was interesting is that uh, he notes we have pitch data back to nineteen eighty eight. The Reds have swung at forty nine point five percent of the pitches they've seen. So yeah. basically half, which is the highest rate since nineteen eighty eight when we have pitch data by far. I mean that's just hacking. I it, mean it is hacking because if you look at the second part of that is they've made contact on seventy two point eight percent of swings, and that's the lowest rate by the team on record. So top to bottom, it's we've seen a, a change in uh, philosophy or something here, and it ain't working. No, it is not. I mean, and, and, you, and you, you know, and you, it's not like you can change things in midstream. You know, maybe as things loose, you know, as they, the, the, the concern is that as, as things go bad, you try even harder. And so you're, you're, you know, try, you know, you're swinging at more pitches outside the strike zone and, and that kind of, you know, or does the fact that they get so far out of first place that they, they'd loosen up, then all of a sudden they revert to form and they start hitting the ball. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's any way of telling which way this is going to go. Um, I mean, with the pitching that they're getting, with with very few exceptions, this team should be winning some ball games. There's no question. But let's go back to what you said at the beginning, which is these guys, uh, specifically Votto, uh, you know, Shebler, Puig, Kemp, all these guys, Winker. They are what the back of their baseball card says that they are. They cannot continue to hit like this. So maybe they're pressing right now. I don't know what the you know. They're certainly swinging at way too many pitches as a team. But I, I, it's just not possible for them. They're going to at some point come back to their level. Now where is that level? I don't know. You know, Votto is better than this. I, I would think, unless he's really gone off the uh, deep end uh, because of age. Peraza is certainly better than this. How much better? I we, I don't really know yet. He's only 25, and uh, I've been pretty pleased with what we got from him last year. But this year, it's just been as bad as I've seen it. 14 strikeouts, no walks. Um, but all these guys are are going to be better, and so you got to think at some point the team is going to hit. I, I I'm confident in saying that the offense is going to be better than this. But let's look at some of these individuals. Votto, 228 average, 323 on base, 386 um, slugging. You know, just one home run. Uh, does have six doubles, leads the team. Uh, in the athletic, Trent Rosecrans had a piece where they talked to uh, Votto just yesterday, and it really is a transcription of a conversation with Votto after Votto had uh, spent you know an hour or something after everybody had left. He was still under Dodger Stadium taking uh, swings, uh, and it, it, Votto kept saying, "I wish I had the quote right in front of me." But he kept saying, "Um, you know, it, I, I, this is not me." I'm better than this, you know. That this is not because of age or anything like that. And and Chris Garber, uh, co-author of the Big Fifty, um, Chris Garber mentioned to me yesterday on Twitter. Boy, it sounded an awful lot like Votto was trying to convince himself rather than anyone else that was in the room. Uh, it was a really fascinating. If, you, if you're subscribed to the Athletic, you should see that. But um, it it appeared to me Votto was worried that these are uh, age-related declines, but is refusing to concede to Father Time. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I know what you're saying, and 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 he hasn't looked good. I mean, he's he's struck out 17 times already, you know, which I would think is much higher than his career rate. And to me, and this is just the eyeball test, his bat looks really slow to me. 
Yeah, and who knows? He started seasons poorly before. Yep. And he's come back, uh, you know, like crazy later on. So you can't necessarily draw any conclusions over what are we talking here, uh, 65 plate appearances. But he's never been 35 before. And he's coming off a season where, frankly, it was his worst season. Yep. And so it's not it's not unfair to begin to wonder whether there's some uh, of that age-related decline in there. Yeah, to be concerned. Yeah, but now he's not going. He's not going to be a two twenty eight hitter. I mean, there's just no way he's not going. He's not going to have a seven oh nine OPS in the year. I, I just I refuse to believe that. But uh, I mean, he's not even leading the team in walks, and so that makes you that really yeah, he is leading the team in strikeouts. Yeah, but uh, Tucker Barnhart's walked, and they Eugenio Suarez have walked each walked a couple more times than uh, than Votto in uh, fewer plate appearances. Both of them. Tucker Barnard has significantly fewer plate appearances. Wow, looking at Tucker Barnard's on base percentage, 409. Yeah, I'll take that. Yep. These catchers have been pretty good. He and Kirk Casale. Um, so, you know, Votto. Uh, <laughs> Who let off the other day. Yeah, I know. I know. I love it. Um, so, Votto is not is not this bad. I, I think you would probably agree. But we don't know. We don't know how good he w- can be at age 35, I guess. That's the way I would put it. Yeah, and, and and two weeks ago, or the last time you and I talked, you know, right after the season started, or, or maybe even before, I can't remember. Last time I was on, we weren't ta- we weren't talking like this about Joey. We weren't worried about that he struggled in spring training, you know, because because it was spring training. Um, but we did talk about how many years he, how many real productive years he had left. And and you don't know until you don't, and you don't know until you know, you know. You know, you can you can predict all you want, but who knows? You know, and like I said, he may turn out and they have a Joey year, but he may have a you know a pedestrian year. I think that if I'm going to bet the ranch, well, I'm not going to bet the ranch on this question because I just don't know. But uh, if I were going to bet something, I would bet on Joey Votto coming back and having what we would consider a Joey Votto year. I really would. I mean, he's, he's working as hard as he ever has. He's in good shape. Um, I don't. Th- I just can't see him falling off the cliff after having been so good for so long. But I do think. That it's uh you know you're it's not unreasonable to think that he may have a significantly down year. Um, I think that's absolutely within the realm of possibility. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think you know uh, what we've seen so far sort of uh, would encourage the belief that well he's he's aging a little bit. But I just I don't see it. I I, I think he's going to come back and have uh, at least as good a year as last year and probably better. I still believe that. If you if you had to put odds on him having it. As good a year as he had last year, where would you put the odds? At least as good a year. As last year? I, 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 I could see where he dropped off, where he dropped off. Uh, you know, so, you know, and I, just strictly going by OPS. 126, I could see him being in the 110 to 120 number. Okay, but what are the chances in your mind that he matches what he did last year? That's sort of an unfair question. I think... I'm still uh, willing to lay odds at 80%. He's going to get back to where he was at least last I would, year. I would be lower than that. I would be in the 60 to 50 to 60%. So you're I, yeah. I'm starting to become a naysayer. Well, Father Time is undefeated. Yep. I mean, you know, let's let's concede. Even Joey Votto the, potentially has a great argument for being the best hitter in the history of this franchise. Uh, at some point, it's going to get him. I don't, I'm not willing to believe it yet. And I know for a fact Votto is not willing to concede that. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch him. You know, did you see where, uh, in the Dodgers series, he popped out to the first baseman 
First time ever. First time his entire career. That just seems almost unfathomable. It really does. I mean, it, it makes me wonder whether anybody else ever has a history like that. I don't know. I wonder. Uh, it's just you know, almost 7,000 career at-bats, I believe. Something like that. It's crazy. Um, well, let's just swing, swing around the infield and talk about some of these guys because this has been the story of the season so far is the uh, the absence of any offense whatsoever. You already mentioned Peraza, but you know Peraza, 25 years old, coming off really what I thought was a, a, a huge season last year where he made uh, significant strides at the plate. You know, um, A roughly league average hitter last year. Uh, his on-base percentage was up to 326. Did hit with some power, 14 home runs. Um, uh, so, so one of the better hitting shortstops last year, and just for all players overall, a, a league average type guy. This year, he has been, as you noted at the beginning, probably the worst hitter in all of baseball. I haven't looked to see who else compares to that, but he's in the conversation for it. He's got 53 plate appearances. He has uh, eight hits, and only uh, two of those are of the extra base variety. Uh, he struck out 14 times, has not walked yet, and he is, you talk about hacking at everything, he is. And I just, um, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it because he had made such strides over the last year and then the last uh, two or three months of the season before that. He had made such huge strides in terms of his uh, plate discipline. Um, I don't know why we're seeing this. Again, we're talking 16 games, but still, it's been bad, hasn't it? It's been horrific. Uh, the, the, only, I mean, the, the only two offensive guys that you could argue that are, that are hitting above where you were, or at least where you'd expect them to be are Suarez and Iglesias. You know, Iglesias hasn't been great, but he, he, he's been better than, you know, he's been at least as good as, as you could have expected him to be offensively. And I'll tell you what, if you, aren't, if you aren't impressed with his defensive skills, you aren't watching. No, there's no question. That got slick in the field. And uh, he's so good, in fact, that you can take a, a guy that's, you know, hitting 243, 317 on base, 405. That's uh, plenty adequate for a guy that's as good a defender at shortstop as I've seen since, you know, in Cincinnati since, I don't know who, since Barry probably. I can't, I can't remember which game it was. It might have been the St. Louis game in Mexico where he made the two phenomenal plays with his glove and didn't even throw the ball, flipped it to second for a double play on one, and and then was way to the right of second base and, and flipped it with his glove again to first base. And I can't even remember, but they were both phenomenal plays. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he is as advertised. And you can kind of see why when the Tigers had a chance to make a choice, Iglesias versus a, a very young Eugenio Suarez, why they chose Iglesias uh, incorrectly, as it turned out. But uh, um, Suarez, you're right, has been pretty good. Uh, Iglesias has been uh, adequate, given that given how good his glove is. But everyone else is just, again, excluding the catchers, has, has been awful. I mean, uh, Peraza's not this bad. I, uh, I don't know how good he is at age 25. I would have expected him to take another step forward over last year. Um, maybe even be a slightly above average uh, league average hitter. Uh, yeah, not close at this point. Um, Kemp and Shebler, you know, with uh, with Senzel getting sent down, Kemp and Shebler with a golden opportunity to earn at-bats, and they have been disastrous. Abs Kemp especially. Kemp, you know, other than Peraza, Kemp has been the worst hitter on this team. Yep, and looked just awful at every at bat. I mean, just looks, I, and I know this isn't fair because there's no way. He just looks like, he looks to me like he doesn't care. 
and, and I know that's not a fair thing to say because I'm sure I know the guy's trying and it, but it, it just looks like there's not a lot of effort up there. And, and, and like you said, and you can say the same thing about Wanker. He's another guy that's had, you know, tremendous opportunity here to expand his playing time and hasn't done it. Yeah, you're right. I should have added Winker absolutely in that, uh, in that group. Uh, he's been just as bad, if not worse than any of those guys. Um, uh, in that in that Rosecrans piece I was talking about, about Votto uh, working after the game, uh, Winker was the only other guy that was still there working. Everybody else yep. had already already left and gone to San Diego. Um, he, had, he had used Farmer's bat because they'd already packed his. Yeah, yeah, but he was sticking around working. So, uh, which is which is good. Uh, I like the fact that Winker's taking cues from Joey Votto, um, ten years let me, younger. Let me ask you a question: What are your impressions three weeks in here of David Bell? Oh, I think the uh, I think the jury is is still out on him you know i i think that he's a uh, there he has a lot of things that have impressed me he's done a lot of things that impressed me he is clearly willing to think outside the box he's clearly clearly willing to use shifts and uh be more aggressive in terms of positioning of fielders than we've seen in cincinnati before he is willing to use his uh, relief pitchers uh often in non-conventional ways and he is, uh, I, like, I like he's kind of fiery, you know. He's been thrown out of two games, and I like that he sort of stands up for his guys some. I, you know, that's just a more of an aesthetic thing. I like a guy that's kind of fiery like that. But he's also done some things that I find completely curious. Uh, in, in the outside-the-box thing, I should mention, uh, leading off Kirk Casale and leading off Joey Votto. Uh, you know, that's things that never would have happened this since night before. But then, you know, there are lots of things where I, I watch him manage this bullpen, and I think uh, he's overmanaging. And it maybe yep. maybe it's a maybe it's what the analytics say to do. You know, I'm I'll concede that, but I know I don't I don't enjoy it. It's not aesthetically pleasing to use that term again to watch him use four pitchers in an inning or bring in Amir Garrett for one pitch. Uh, I think he overmanages sometimes, and I think he gets himself in trouble because he's insisted on having a four man bench and you know forty two relief pitchers. Um, and yet, and yet they go into a, they got a game the other night where they got three guys that are unavailable. Four guys, they said. I mean, how frustrating. Oh, okay, yeah. sorry about that. How frustrating is that? Is that you got a four man bench so you can keep all these relievers and you still got four relievers completely unavailable. And so they had to bat Tyler Malley in a bases loaded situation because they just didn't yeah. have enough relievers. I mean, yeah, and they were down, what, four nothing or something at the time? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, seriously? That, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think he, I, you know, I still think he's learning on the job. And, and, and I agree with every. I agree with everything you said. I know that's hard to believe because I never agree with everything you said. That's true. But I agree with absolutely everything you said about Bell. And, but I, I, I'm hoping that he's going to learn that you can't manage every game like the seventh game of the World Series. Well, and you know, because I mean, every game counts the same. I understand that, but you can't hurt yourself for the next three days trying to win today. That's true. That's true. Uh, but I like, I guess maybe I'm looking for a middle ground. I like a guy that realized that every single victory is important, that you really want to do what you can to win every single game. But you also have to temper that with the idea that if I do this and it hurts me for the next three, like it did with the, these using these relievers, then yeah, you're hurting your chances long-term of getting more victory. So I guess I want a middle ground. I want to, I, I like a guy, he's, he's taking every decision seriously. He's not on autopilot, and I think that's good. Yeah, and but and the other thing though, I think by by swapping your bullpen guys out so quickly, readily, you're not giving them a chance to 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 develop confidence and 
work themselves, you know, learn how to work themselves out of trouble. And, and, you know, so I think there's a side to that too. Yeah. And I'd like to know what the numbers are they're looking at sometimes. Uh, Cause I wonder how, how useful some of the information that they're getting is. Uh, and, and maybe they're looking at information that we don't have, but I see, you know, I watch Amir Garrett pitch and that guy is just flat out dominating. Now, is he dominating because I'm only seeing him against the guys that Bell wants me to see him against that he has the best chance of success. I don't know. Maybe, but he's a guy that you know pitched a one batter once. I went and just blew him away through one pitch uh, one game. He ended up he actually gave up a home run on the first pitch and took him out yeah. immediately. I mean, and I just I I I love that you're looking at lefty righty matchups, but I I agree. I I think at some point you let some guys work through some things because it's going to help strengthen your team later on, and uh, also you don't put yourself in a situation where you have to let Tyler Malley hit with bases loaded. Right. So. Tell so, him at the bullpen. Have you seen enough of Zach Duke for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, flip over to the pitching side of it uh, here. Zach Duke. Zach Duke has not pitched very well this year, and uh, yeah, I don't know. He's thirty six years old. His ERA is only a ten point one three, and I do not enjoy watching him pitch. I mean, he was, you know, he's been a reasonable pitcher the last few years uh, against just lefties, essentially. Um, and that's why Bell likes him, because Bell loves the, the lefty one-out guy, the loogie. But I got to tell you, I wonder if maybe when they acquired him, they thought they were uh, signing Daisy Duke or Luke Duke. Because those Bo, Or Bo Duke. Not, or... No, not Bo. I'm absolutely anti-Bo. But um, they signed the wrong Duke because this one hasn't been very good. I guess the question is, do you how close do you think they are to cutting bait on Zach Duke? I do not think there's any chance whatsoever. You think they're going to suffer through with him for an extended period, no matter how badly he pitches? They just paid him two million dollars to do it. So yes, yeah, but they paid you know twenty three million to make Homer go away. Yeah, but they just uh, you know we're three weeks into the season. And a guy they gave $2 million to, they're going to cut loose three weeks into the season. You know, I don't think they're, I don't think they're going to admit that mistake that quickly. If it is in fact a mistake. Now I would like to see him stop using him in the high leverage situations. But uh, you know, if you don't use him in high leverage situations against the lefties, you've got Wandy Peralta who has been good, but who I don't trust. Um, and, uh, and Amir Garrett, your other left-hander, I would use Garrett certainly, but. Yeah. Do you think they'll cut? I mean, I could see him maybe in September, August. Oh God, I would hope. I would hope before then. Oh, I don't. I don't think there's any way. And and again, he's not this bad, is he? I don't know. <laughs> he's he's walked uh, he's walked five in five point one innings. That doesn't seem optimal. Seven, and and, seven, and I'm I'm trying to find it right now, but uh, seven. I know five walks. Yeesh. Yeah, and I know that uh, you know the, the one with the, and his name just ran right out of my head. The kid, the, one of the left-handers they sent down, uh, Cody Reed, and who's the other one? I don't know what you're talking about. They haven't sent anybody down. The Reds have all their best players on the major league roster. I don't know what you're talking about. You stop. A lefty? I mean, are you, Sal Romano is the other guy. Romano, that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, he's not and, a lefty. No. Come on, man. Get with the program. But Cody Reed, yeah. 
give me Cody Reed over Zach Duke any day and twice on Sunday. And and or over Peralta, yeah. frankly. Although Peralta's been good in six innings of work. Yeah, I mean small, you know, super small, small sample size, but well, same with Zach Duke. It's five and a third innings. Same with Rizel. I know you're worried about Rizel Iglesias. True? Yeah. Yes, I am. You know, I can ignore spring training numbers until they start carrying over to the regular season. And that's what's going on with Iglesias. I mean, he's in bad. Yeah. There's no question. I'm not concerned about it. When when, when do you get to the point? I think we're already starting to see this. When they start to trust Robert Stevenson a little more. Let's talk about your buddy, Bob Steve. (laughs) I wasn't the one that gave up on him. You were the one that gave up on him. I just didn't see how the numbers worked out to keep him on the roster. It didn't make any sense based on what he had shown. Um, And I still don't know that it makes sense. I'm not willing to, kind of like I'm not willing to throw the baby out with the bathwater. On Zach Duke after just five and a third innings, uh, Stevens just nine and a third. But I, but you have to say, yikes! He has been amazing in those nine and a third innings. I mean, yeah, he's he's been very 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 impressive. Yeah. What's the, uh, you know, he has one unintentional walk in that time, and that's been the knock on him. So when he's throwing strikes, he's always been unhittable every step of the way. But he just has never thrown strikes consistently. So you see what happens here when he does throw strikes. And and what I wonder, and I don't think there's any way to know this, and I'd like to know your your speculation, because it is just speculation at this point, but, boy, I would love to know how much the uh, the uh, presence of the new pitching coach, Derek Johnson, has had on Stevenson in particular, because everyone's known he's had a boatload of talent, and Johnson's uh, reputation is getting as much talent out of guys that he has as he can. Early returns seem to be that he's having a, a big-time effect, wouldn't you think? I don't know what else to attribute it to. I mean, because because basically in the past we've almost gotten to the to, to the point where we were told that he was uncoachable, and he sure seems like he must be listening to somebody. There's the point I was going to make. If we're going to give Derek Johnson some credit, then you also have to credit Stevenson because if he's listening to a coach, finally, I mean, uh, you know, it, it seems like a pretty good marriage so far. I guess at some I just point, look- I just looked at both Romano and Reed. Neither one of them are pitching very well at AAA either. Yeah, well, how many innings are we talking? Not much. I yeah. mean, Romano's 7.2 and Reed is 5.2. Uh, you know, Joey Votto, Zach Duke, Wandy Peralta, uh, Robert Stevenson, Rosella Glaces, any of these guys, you know, we can talk about what we've seen. And certainly uh, it, early returns on some of these guys are not good, but I don't know that you can uh, – I'm not willing to make any grand proclamations on any of them. Um, but I'll – I'm not either, but one thing I did notice over a week ago was when the Cardinals and the Cubs, their pitching staffs were getting beat up, or when their pitching staffs were getting beat up early, or they had guys getting beat up, they made some changes. Yep, they brought guys up and down, and and say what you want to say, they've been effective in the long term, and we haven't. So whether you want to argue about whether it's the right thing to do or not, I don't have any idea. But I think. I, I do like the fact that you're not just trying to bail water on the Titanic, though. Right. I think the problem has been, in terms of making changes, is that a lot of the guys that are struggling are guys you really can't get rid of too easily. You can't shuffle up and down to the to AAA. Right. And you're talking about Iglesias and Jared Hughes has not been good. And uh, uh, you know, Duke, of course, uh, you'd have to really cut bait on him. So I think that's part of your problem is that some of the older guys 
the younger guys, you know, Garrett's been great. Uh, Hernandez is not a younger guy, but he's been adequate, not great. He's been the same thing you'd expect him. But Stevenson's been great. Um, Peralta's been great. So, uh, you know, I think that's the problem. If it had been some of these other guys, I think they wouldn't have hesitated to move some guys around. It's just it's difficult to do it. Um, now, now, Stevenson, I presume, is the biggest surprise on the pitching staff. But have there been any other pleasant surprises you want to discuss on the uh, – Pitch that before we get into Red Leg Nation Radio Madness. Well, I mean, other than, you know, you can talk about Castillo and Gray. I think they've been so impressive. Haven't they been good? Uh, you know, and, and I, I mean, I've been surprised at how good Castillo's been. I honestly haven't been that surprised about Gray. Uh, he, he's been about what I expected him to be. I mean, I, I, I'm, I really like that kid. I, he just really looks like he knows what he's doing out there to me. Kind of a bulldog out there, uh, which is a crazy thing. I, I said it about Castillo as well. It doesn't get flapped. Uh, you know, just uh, love watching those guys, especially when they're going well. Gray and Derek Johnson, you know, at Vanderbilt together. Uh, Vanderbilt, by the way, lost the uh, College World Series uh, National Championship to Virginia uh, when Derek Johnson was there. But um, that's been a pretty good marriage as well. Do you have well. a Virginia tattoo on your ass? Uh, not yet, but I'm scheduled next week. Well, I figured you were. <laughs> but Castillo, Gray, Malley? Yes, all those guys. I think, you know, have been – I'm very pleased with all those guys. Uh, and Tanner Roark's he's just been what I expected. I, you know, I, I have any issues with what he's done. He's who he is. Roughly he's about a league average, and if I can get that out of my number four, you know, or, you know, three and four, I'd be, I'm happy with that. Absolutely. Now, it's only three starts, but, uh, you know, I'm a huge D- Anthony DiScofani fan, but – at some point, he's yeah, he's 29 now. He's he's not pitched well in a few years, really. He needs to start showing us something, right? Well, if, when Wood's healthy, they're going to have a decision to make. It's going to be tough. If, if Malley keeps pitching well and DiScofani doesn't get his act together, it's going to be tough. And, and, and assuming Wood gets – that's assuming Wood gets healthy. With the back, I mean, you just never know. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, and the other thing is at some point – and I, I know you guys talked about this, I think, last week on the podcast is if Stevenson keeps pitching well – do they do they take another look at putting him back in the rotation? It'll be interesting to see. Now, I think with Stevenson, some of his success has been because he's limiting himself to two pitches right now, and you can do that easier out of the bullpen. Yep. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you if you turn the corner on Stevenson, it would be kind of silly not to at least think about giving him another shot. Yeah, I mean, and, they, and what they may decide is they'd like to have, have a successful year in the bullpen, and then maybe next year think about it. Yeah, there's no and there's no reason they can't do that. He's 26 years old. Right. So, and, 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 you know, and you're probably going to lose, you know, you're going to lose either Roark or, or Wood, if not both, in the offseason. Right. So, yeah, no, there's going to, there are going to be opportunities. So, okay. So, so let's sum this up. We both agree that they cannot continue offensively to be this bad. True. I, I, I do think you're, you're right. It's statistically impossible. I, I would bet, I would, that one I would bet the house on. Yes. I would bet uh, your house on it. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. I live in a tent. Um, and 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 if I can, and if we can get the starting pitching we're going we're getting now for the rest of the year, all, even if you put them all five together, I I you know I'd be thrilled with the pitching if we if we were in September and still talking about you know guys that are putting up the kind of numbers they're putting up now. Uh, I don't think we can see that from Castillo. I love Castillo. Well, I, I think he's great, but I'm talking about as a group. I'm not talking about each individual. Because, you know, he's going to come down. You know, Gray may go up a little bit. Roark may go up a little bit. Disclafani better go up a little bit. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, as a starting staff. 
if we, if we can get what we're getting right now, I would be thrilled to death. Well, if we can get as a group the the starting pitching that we've gotten so far, even with the bullpen, if we can get this pitching as a group the rest of the season, however the numbers come out, uh, if Casillo drops back and Discafani gets better, or whatever. Um, I think they still got a shot at being above 500 team because I think the hitting will come back enough to where this will be a dangerous club with that kind of pitching. But how has to quickly to sum it up? How how in the world have all these guys gone cold at one time? It's just not. It's is it bad luck? Can it just be well, bad I, luck? I think I don't know if it's luck or or I think it has more to do with with the swing rate and and swinging the balls out of the strike zone. Well, that worries me then. If that's like a philosophy or something that's right. not, and that that's the concern, because you know everybody, if they were, if it was luck, they would be still taking you know take it'd be as many pitches per bat and stuff as what we'd seen in the past, and that's not what we're seeing, and and it's such a, a large number of guys that are that that number is dropped on that you have to believe it's a philosophy thing. Well, that's going to be then, uh, you know. It's going to take a lot more at bats for us to get a fuller picture of what's actually yeah. going on here. But that, if you know, that's something that maybe would concern me if it's a change in philosophy as a group. And we do have a new new hitting coach. We've got all new coaches except for uh, except for one. So you know, I I don't know. I just that is that's a reason to be worried. I think is that they're not you know even Joey Votto is not hitting the way Joey Votto. With a with the same approach that he's always used. Yeah, I I don't want to use the word they're not hitting the way they. What, what my concern is they aren't having the the same type of at bats as what we're used to seeing. Well, I still think it's a, a really small sample, and there could be another explanation. I look forward to finding out what it is as we go further in, into the year. Um, I think, go ahead. I said I concur. Oh, there we go. All right, now I want to get into. Red Leg Nation Radio Madness, if you listened to the last episode, and, and many of you did because a bunch of you voted, we uh, revealed our 68-team bracket to determine the most valuable player in Reds history. And as, as it's going to work out here is uh, every week we're going to do a round until we get uh, to the Final Four and the championship, and then we name a champion for the most valuable Red Reds player in history. Now, the bracket, if you saw it last week, we announced all of it, and Jason Linden and I discussed it. Bill and I have discussed it uh, sort of offline over the last uh, week. He has lots of uh, problems lots with uh, with my seating. He disagrees with me on, Not so, lot, on so many things. He, think, he thinks I missed every single one of them up. Um, but uh, we opened it up we, uh, on Sunday night for the voting. You can go to redlegnation.com, vote every Sunday night. I will have the link uh, all our uh, on Twitter to send you there, and it'll be at redlegnation.com to... Uh, to vote, leave it left it open for three days, and we now have the results of the first round. And so, what I want to do is, I want to uh, well, let me give you briefly. You had at least one big snub that you thought should have been in the in the, uh, in the sixty-eight team field, right? Was it just one? There was, there was one player that, that came to my mind that, that and and I, you know, and this is just me, and it's and part of it is my age, and I readily agree with. It. But I thought I was shocked that Dan Dreesen wasn't on here. He, yes. He was under consideration and uh, probably would have been uh, in the neighborhood of a 14, 15, 16 seed. But there was a bunch of guys, and he got he got dreesened out. But he did have a good Reds career. Well, and he was a better player than and a longer term player than some of the guys than, than players that you have on you. I think that you're, there's no no doubt he was better for a longer time as a Red than some of these players. But uh, in in doing the seeding and the brackets, we also tried to weigh how good was someone in the short term. 
you know, at, the, at their peak. And, and how do you value that versus how do you value someone who's consistently good over a, a long period of time? And when we use the term most valuable, that's what it's kind of a nebulous term. I'm going to let I want the voters and the, the viewers and the listeners to determine however they want to on that one. So I, I think you have a point could have very easily slid him in there. In the and, and the other one that I the, the one that I had a big problem with was the seating on Dave Parker. Oh, you're crazy. Uh, I when he was a red, he was the man. It's true, and at that time, you know, I was a kid watching, and I thought this guy's the best player I've ever seen in my life. I didn't say that. Well, no, I'm saying that's what I thought at the time. He was a revelation because you know when I first started watching the Reds, they were awful. It was the early '80s, and so that when he showed up, they started you know, being competitive again. And I agree, but then you go back and look at his numbers and yeah, I mean, uh, if you want to look at his peak performance, he was good for a year, year and a half, really good. And he, he was, was great in 85. He was great in 85. Yeah, he was all right. You you really think he should have been seated higher than Cal Daniels? Absolutely. Cal <laughs> Daniels was a platoon player. Oh, He's, come on. He started for one year. Other than that, he platooned with Tracy Jones. Hey, he was still better. That's not his fault that the manager didn't put him out there enough. Oh, so, you know, you're going to go by what you think a guy's going to get and do when he's sitting on the bench? That's crazy talk. Sure. It's most valuable. I think Cal Daniels is more valuable. You're crazy. (laughs) We've already determined that. And the guy was the worst defensive outfielder until Adam Dunn. He was a terrible defensive player. Nah, he was great. You know what you're talking about. Oh, good God. <laughs> All right, let's run through the uh, results, and then we'll have our uh, matchups for the next round. Because you all voted, as we said, Sunday night. Look again this Sunday night to vote again at redlegnation.com. First, we had the first four, and these were the four battles between 16 seeds to see who would face the number one seeds in each bracket. In the Crosley region, the first four matchup for the number 16 seed was Scott Williamson versus Corey Patterson. And with 83% of the vote, Scott Williamson makes it through to the uh, round of 64. And I want to, the, the, the 67 of you that voted for Corey Patterson, just turn your computer off right now. <laughs> Come on, man. What are you talking about? Patterson was valuable. Top of the mm-hmm. order. Scott Didn't Williams- he date Dusty's daughter or something? That's what the rumor was. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not true. But that was, that did get printed in the paper. Um <laughs> No, Scott Williamson moves on, and Scott Williamson moves on to face uh, Johnny Bench. You, you've heard of Johnny Bench. Have you? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if you have or not. Um, in the Crosley region. So, and, and we'll talk about that one in just one moment. The second, first four matchup, Dave Parker, your guy. Yep. Versus Wayne Krenchicki. Dave Parker moving on with 93% of the votes. Seven. <laughs> On Frank Robinson. Seven, and he'll go up against Frank Robinson. But if Parker was as good as he said, he'll probably, he probably did well against Frank Robinson, I'm sure. Krenchicki, thank you to the 7% of you that voted for Krenchicki. Now, here's the, the uh, Great American region, and I'm a little disappointed in uh, our, our viewers on this one. It was Pedro Borbon versus Luis Alberto Bonilla. And that's for the right to face Joe Morgan in the round of 64. 77% of you went with uh, Pedro Bourbon. Only 23% to Lisa Alberto Bonilla. That's disappointing, Bill. Again, you 91 people, just go somewhere else. <laughs> Come on, what? Lisa Alberto? Lisa Alberto Bonilla, because you guys just love me and I appreciate it so much, he got the most votes of anyone in these first four, of any loser in the first four matchups. Hey, Pedro, Pe- Pedro Bourbon bit 
the bill of uh, uh, chunk out of the bill of Willie Mays's hat. Yeah, so big deal. It was he was no Luis Alberto. Um, he just because just because he's a Reds Hall of Famer. And then final, the Palace of the Fans region first four game: Tom Browning versus Skip Schumacher. Tom Browning wins with ninety six percent of the votes. That was the most dominating performance in the uh, first four matchups. So now we go on to the regular bracket, the round of 64. And we're going to begin in the Crosley region. In the Crosley region, it was Johnny Bench. You've heard of Johnny Bench, right? Number yeah. one, Number one seed for a reason, facing off against Scott Williamson. And Johnny Bench, as you are probably not surprised, 100% of the votes. Scott Williamson did not get a single vote. Are you surprised? I'm surprised he didn't get a vote. There's nobody out there that... that I mean, these are the same... Somebody, some of these people voted for Corey Patterson. But we're talking Rookie of the Year Scott Williamson. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't get any votes. <laughs> I am too. The truth of the matter is, if you look back at Williamson's uh, numbers for the short time that he was good for the rest, he was really good. Uh, better than I realized when I went back and looked. But uh, come on, Johnny Bench. Now, the next one is uh, the round of 64... Cy Seymour, eight seed versus nine seed Pete Donahue. And with 70% of the votes, number eight seed Cy Seymour. And I, this was one that I was interested in because a couple of old guys that people don't know. And I, I, I left links for you to go research them at uh, Red Leg Nation with the uh, the vote the polls, but I don't know how many did. But uh, Seymour in an 8-9 matchup will move on to the next round. That, that went the way I, I kind of hoped it would go. Well, yeah, but I... I'm a little surprised it was that big of a margin. Um, the five twelve matchup: five seed Jim Maloney in the Crosley region versus the number twelve seed Chris Sabo, and this was among the very, very tightest of any matchup in the first round. There's always, you know, in the college basketball tournament, uh, there's always a twelve uh, five upset, and I wondered if we would have one of those in this. We did not have an upset here. Jim Maloney squeaks by Chris Sabo. 51% to 49%. What do you think about that one, Bill? I think it was too close. I think people that voted for Chris Sabo didn't bother to look at Jim Maloney's numbers. Come on, man. Spuds McKenzie. Yeah. And, he was, and for a short period of time, he was a pretty good player. He won a rookie of the year, blah, blah, blah. But he wasn't no Jim Maloney. Get out of here. He wore rec specs. I think you're undervaluing the rec specs. I think you're overvaluing the Spuds McKenzie. I, I, I can guarantee you there's people listening right now who don't even know who Spuds McKenzie was. <laughs> That's true. Um, <laughs> there are also people that voted who didn't know who Jim Maloney was, I'm sure. But uh, Jim Maloney oh, yeah. does move on. Um, now, the round of 64, the 4 versus 13 matchup. Bid McPhee is the number 4 seed. Bronson Arroyo, the number 13 seed. And here we have our first upset of the tournament. As Bronson Arroyo takes out Hall of Famer Bid McPhee, 51 to 49%. Another very close uh, matchup. I wondered, Bill, if we would get some recency bias. And, you know, you could argue that there was some of that with Chris Sabo. Um, this one appears to be a pretty clear case of recency bias. Although, you know, Bid McPhee, a pre-1900 guy, how do you value those guys versus what Bronson Arroyo could do? Uh, you know, uh, any thoughts about that one? I picked McPhee. He's a Hall of Famer. Are you t are you seriously telling me that Bronson Arroyo is not a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I'm telling you that he's in the pitching slash guitarist Hall of Fame. Probably, if there was such a thing. Oh, he's way up there. Um, so the number thirteen seed Bronson Arroyo moving on to the round of thirty-two, 
The round of 64 in the Crosley Region 6-11 matchup. Number 6 seed Brandon Phillips versus number 11 seed Jake Beckley. Who'd you have in this one? I picked Beckley. You were among the few that picked Jake Beckley. I know you're a longtime anti-Brandon Phillips guy, but 94% of you thought Brandon Phillips was the more valuable. 94% to 6%. Jake Beckley was a very good player, Reds Hall of Famer. Um, but, of course, Brandon Phillips a Reds Hall of Famer as well. Maybe also gets a boost because of uh, recency bias because we all saw him play. But uh, I, don't know, I, th- I think a pretty clear one there. I picked. Uh, I voted for Brandon Phillips. Gee, what a show. I love Brandon Phillips. You know, he was he was that dude BP. Yep. He was also the most fined player on the Reds team during the Dusty Baker era. Yeah, but he was he was that dude BP. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. I, I don't care. He sent he sent me uh, uh, less than a pleasant. Uh, yeah, he's he, he's direct a big messages. Fan. Yeah, he's a big fan of Red Leg Nation. <laughs> uh, the number three seed Ed Roush facing off against one of the. But two current Reds uh, in this uh, bracket, Eugenio Suarez, the 14th seed. And uh, I voted for Roush. Well, who'd you vote for? Roush. And Ed Roush comes out with uh, 62% of the vote today. Eugenio Suarez is 38%. Um, and Suarez, that's a bit of a push in terms of a 14 seed based on what he's already done. But some of that is based on what we expect out of the future and the fact that I wanted to have a couple of uh, current guys in there. Uh, but Suarez, absolutely... Uh, I think as when we do this bracket again in 10 years, I think he'll get better than a 14 seed. At least I hope so. But Ed Roush moves on easily. The 7-10 matchup, I had an expectation this would be a, uh, a blowout. And it was. Joe Nuxall, the 7 seed versus the 10 seed, Long John Riley. And Nuxy with 95% of the votes. I bet you voted for Nuxy. Nope, I voted for Riley. <laughs> oh my goodness. Bill... I he, did. He's the old left-hander. Riley had 129 OPS plus. Yeah, but the old left-hander rounded third and came home. Yeah, he did. Now, Joe Nuxall, thankfully, uh, most of you were uh, joined me in voting for Joe Nuxall because he moves on 95% of the vote. The 215 matchup, Veda Pinson, the number two seed, versus the number 15 seed, Rob Dibble. I know who you voted for here. I guarantee it. Yeah. You, you voted for Randy Myers. Yeah, I did. Actually, I voted for Norm Charlton. There you go. But um, I'm, we both voted for Pinson. Veda Pinson wins 82% of the vote, um, which is probably closer than it should have been. Although, if you look at Dibble for a short time, Dibble was pretty darn good. Better than I remembered, actually, yep. f- for a very short period. But Veda Pinson was very good for a very long time, well, and so he'll move on. Um, he's probably the best red player that's not in the Hall of Fame. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, a lot of people would probably say Davy Concepcion, but I think Veda Pinson was a better player than Davy Concepcion. Um, no, yeah, yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think I don't know that he's actually an actual Hall of Famer. No, I, I didn't. That's not. Yeah, I, right. I, I know how you worded it. Right. Yeah, but uh, but very very good. Yes. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and look in the Crosley region as we look ahead to the round of thirty-two. Johnny Bench versus Cy Seymour. Who you got there? I think I'll take Bench. I'm going to take Bench as well. I do encourage people to go look at Seymour's numbers because... Yeah, they're pretty amazing. Yeah, no, he he had a really good career, and, and most people nowadays don't really know him. Um, the number uh, five seed, Jim Maloney, will take on the number 13 seed, Bronson Arroyo, in a battle of uh, right-handed pitchers. You got Maloney, I bet. I guarantee I got Maloney, and, and I guarantee he'll probably get beat. <laughs> this is a matchup of two of the closest uh, winners in the first round, and... Uh, 
Ooh, Maloney versus Arroyo. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Bronson Arroyo because he had a way higher leg kick. Right? Moving on. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, look at the numbers. But now Bronson had a good Reds career, too. He's a Reds Hall of Famer. But, yeah, Maloney for a short period of time was flat dominant. I'm with you. Well, it wasn't that short a period of time. It was like eight years. Well, no, he was good for like eight years. But for like two or three of those years, he was like unbelievable, right? That's what yeah, I'm saying. But I mean, for, for two or three years, he was – Considered with Koufax, Drysdale, yeah. right? You know, those, he was an know, elite pitcher. Right? If you don't know who Ko Ko Koufax and Drysdale Ugh. are, then quit listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, again, the Dodgers bias. Um, all right, so now on to the uh, next Crosley Region matchup. We're gonna have Brandon Phillips, number six seed, going up against the number three seed, Ed Roush. Hmm, Hall of Famer, center fielder on the nineteen nineteen World Champion Reds versus Debt Dude BP. Phillips won 94% of the votes in the first round. I'm interested to see how this one goes. I mean, I, I vote Roush in a 3-6 matchup here. You vote, I presume, yep. Roush. Yep. I didn't vote for Phillips in the first one, so. But do you see Phillips winning this one? Yep. No, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Hey, the listeners determine here, or the viewers, as as it were. Um, Now, here we go. The final round of 32 matchup in the Crosley region. Number two seed, Veda Pinson. Versus the number seven seed, Joe Nuxall, the old left-hander. What do you think him? I think Nuxall will win, but I'd pick Pinson. That will be, you know, I love Nuxall. Uh, I'm voting for Pinson. Um, most valuable red. I don't know. Do you throw in his uh, value as a broadcaster in that, Nuxall? I don't think, I, I don't think you can. I... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I, yeah, we'll see. This will be a really interesting one for uh, – Name recognition versus actual production on the field, because there's a reason Beta Pinson is a two seed. Let's move to the Riverfront region. Frank Robinson, number one seed in the Riverfront region, faced off against Dave Parker. And Frank Robinson with the dominating, albeit not unanimous victory like Johnny Bench had. Frank Robinson, 98% of the votes. Dave Parker, only 2%. Uh, you love you some Parker. I love Parker, but uh, come on, Frank Robinson. Yeah, when we talked about Robinson when he passed away, I mean, his his numbers, especially with the Reds, um, not that they were not that they weren't good with with Baltimore, but his, when he was with Red, his numbers were phenomenal. Yes, uh, Riverfront Region eight nine matchup: Johnny Vandermeer, the eight seed, versus Frank McCormick, the nine seed. This one uh, it doesn't upset me, but this one is uh, got to be a straight name recognition. One. I voted for Frank McCormick, the number nine seed. Who'd you vote for? I voted for McCormick also. Johnny Vandermeer of the back-to-back no-hitters wins with 82% of the votes. And uh, listen, well, we're talking most valuable at his height. <laughs> he shut down everybody on the other team, but I, I just don't see him being that much uh, more valuable than Frank McCormick. I think I think you guys got that one wrong, although I'm the one that seated Vandermeer higher, so maybe I got it wrong initially. But uh, I went with uh, – well, me and, and Jason Linden discussed it. But um, – so, Johnny Vandermeer moves on. Dave Concepcion was the number five seed. He faced off against the number 12 seed, Aroldis Chapman. This is one where I wondered, because we're talking most valuable, and Chapman was unhittable for a while, plus he was a more recent player. But no, Dave Concepcion, 89% of the votes, clearly and easily moving on to the next round. Any thoughts on that one? No, I, I, I'm happy to see. Well, I think that was a grade eight bias there. Uh, not not biased, but I think, you know, the, the grade eight thing out, out, out. Pushed him through, right? The, 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 
more low, you know, right. recent player. Yeah, and the four thirteen matchup, the four, number four seed Eric Davis versus the number 13 seed Bob Perky. Perky, another guy that had a really good Reds career that I hope some of you went to look at, but he only got 1% of the vote here as Eric Davis, 99% of the votes. And and Eric Davis, to me, is the big wild card in this whole thing. When you're talking about most valuable, I could see him making a run all the way to the Final Four. Can you? Yeah, I could. Because at his best, he was Willie Mays. But he wasn't at his best for very long because he was continually hurt. Yep. Um, the number six seed, Dolph Luque, versus the number 11 seed, Tony Mullane. Mullane, a pre-1900 pitcher. Luque, a uh, really good Reds career. Uh, good, uh, The best pitcher for the Reds for a while. Um, 78% of the votes, he moves on. A couple of old pitchers. Yeah, I picked Mullane. Uh, but the, like you said, with the, you know, he, he averaged a 4.43 war a year for the, the years he was with the Reds. Yeah, I just I, I never know how to value those pre nineteen hundred yeah, pitchers. And I, so, I agree. Yeah, I agree. So it's it's arguable either way. Uh, Heine Grow, the number three seed, facing off against the number fourteen seed Lee May, and I expected this to be among the three fourteen matchups that were closest, and it was with fifty seven percent of the votes. Heine Grow moves on over Lee May, but uh, pretty tight, uh, pretty tight voting. The big bopper, who'd you vote for there? Grow. Surprise! You're a big fan of Lee May, right? Yeah, I was. I was a big fan of Lee Mays. And and my wife's birthday is May 23rd, and Lee Mays' number was 23. So, Oh, look at that. <laughs> Essentially, your wife and Lee May are the same person. Except one's alive and the other one's dead. Mm, that's a good point. The number seven seed, Yule Blackwell, facing off against the number 10 seed, Adam Dunn. Yule Blackwell, the whip, was his nickname, uh, facing off against... Adam Dunn, the big donkey. Who'd you go with there? Blackwell. Get out of town. Oh, we're done? Oh, yeah. Well, Adam Dunn, 62% of the votes will move on in the Riverfront region. Blackwell was another guy. Uh, his period of being a, an elite pitcher was only like six years. But he made six straight all-star teams, and he was considered at the time he was there for at least two or three of those years, kind of like we talked about with Maloney, to be one of the elite pitchers. And there's a really good chapter in the Big 50. There's a good chapter about both those guys in the Big 50. About, uh, But about Blackwell, it's a really good read. But anyway, Adam Dunn moves on. Uh, that's an upset. Another upset here. It's a big upset. It's a big upset. I, I worried that Yule Blackwell actually was underseated a little bit when I made these uh, when we made these out because he was really good, but just for a short period of time. Now, the number two seed, Tony Perez, faced off against your guy, Cal Daniels. We know that you are one of the two percent that voted for Cal Daniels, right? No, you're among the ninety-eight percent. You know, you say that, but I was a big Cal Daniels fan when he played with the Reds. I wanted him to play more. Yeah, yeah, no, he was he was talented, but he's not moving on in the Riverfront region. So let's uh, let's preview the round of thirty-two in the Riverfront region. Number one seed Frank Robinson versus number eight seed Johnny Vandermeer. You know, I think I think Frank's pretty safe there. I think he is too, but I'm going to be really interested to see how Vandermeer performs. Because he's such a legendary name in Reds history. And I just kind of feel like Robinson sometimes has been forgotten. But surely Robinson's going to dominate that one. We'll see. Uh, here's a fascinating one. The 4-5 matchup. And their 4 seed, Eric Davis, versus the 5 seed, Dave Concepcion. I think that's going to be close, don't you? Yeah, I do. I, I, I would pick Davis 
but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it went the other way. Well, Concepcion, a long, you know, many time All Star, long career as a Red, captain of the Reds. You know, how do you how do you judge his value versus Eric Davis, who was just a shooting star um, and had a good career overall, but uh, was completely a, one of the elite players in the game for a short period. Also, a good chapter about Eric Davis in the Big Fifty. Um, I think I vote Davis as well. Well, I know I would vote Davis, uh, but uh, I think that's going to be close. It's going to be an interesting matchup to see. Again, you can vote starting Sunday night. The last two matchups in the Riverfront region for the round of 32, number six seed Dolph Luque versus number three seed Heine Grow. I mean, Heine Grow wins that one just because he has a cooler name, right? Yep, Actually, that's exactly why. That's a, that's a good name matchup. Dolph Luque, Adolfo Luque versus Heine Grow. That's some old school baseball there, brother. Big time. That, you don't see the you don't see the name Heine very often anymore, do you? No, you, you get beat up at school if your name's Heine these days. I'm gonna talk my wife into it. our next kid. I'm gonna see if she'll let me name him Heine. I want to be there when you have the conversation with your wife that you're gonna have another kid. <laughs> That's a different conversation entirely. <laughs> yes. The number two seed Tony Perez will face off against Adam from Milwaukee. The number ten seed Adam Dunn. Tony Perez versus Adam Dunn. How many? What percentage of the votes does Adam Dunn get here? Actually, I bet this is close. I don't think it'll be close, but I think it'll be among the closest two, uh, closest matchups in the round of thirty-two for number two seeds. Dunn's numbers are really good as a red. Yep, his hitting numbers. Yeah. yeah. But on the other hand, it's Tony Perez, a Hall of Famer, the big dog. Uh, many people will make the case that Tony Perez. I don't agree with it, but many people will make the case that Tony Perez was the most valuable when you're just talking about the word valuable player with the big red machine. And and some you know, and, and, and I've heard Ro, I've heard Rose and Bench and Morgan all say that. That's true. Exactly. Yeah. Let's move on quickly to the great American region. The number one seed, Joe Morgan, defeats Lisa Alberto Bonilla in a squeaker, ninety nine percent to one percent. What about that? I'm shocked. I appreciate you guys who did try to bring Lisa Alberto through, but Morgan was clearly more valuable. Number eight seed, Jim O'Toole versus number nine seed, Reggie Sanders. Who'd you vote for there? Reggie. Uh, I did as well, and Reggie Sanders comes through with 65% of the votes, which is uh, a little bit better percentage than I thought because Jim O'Toole was a really good pitcher for those early 60s, mid-60s Reds teams. Um and I almost I almost voted for O'Toole just because he was mentioned twice in ball four. There you go. Great baseball book. Uh, and Sanders, I feel like, always gets dinged because of that awful uh, playoff series in 1995. But Sanders was good. He, was, he, should, mean, he, be a, he should be a Reds Hall of Famer. No question about it. So he'll move on to the next round. Number five seed, Ernie Lombardi versus number 12 seed, Kevin Mitchell. Who'd you have on this one? I took Lombardi. So did 83% of voters. Ernie Lombardi moves on easily into the round of 32. I voted for Kevin Mitchell. I'm not surprised. Well, and here's why. For a season and a half, Kevin Mitchell is one of the top two hitters I've ever seen in a Reds uniform. For real. It was a very short period of time. And but, and and even in those two seasons, he didn't play full-time. Yeah, well, come on. Get out of town. You're on the Cal Daniels argument again. He's still good. He's still you can't, valuable. You can't help the club when you're in the tub. Oh, my gosh. The number four seed, Jose Rijo, versus number 13 seed, John Franco. It's a pretty clear one there, right? Yep. I mean, Franco was good, and there was a time when Franco was possibly the best closer in baseball in a Reds uniform. Yep. But he only got 4% of the votes as Jose Rijo cruises with 96%. 
the number six seed Lonnie Fry versus the number eleven seed Aaron Harang. How'd you go there? I went with Fry. I went with Fry as well. Uh, Fry has an argument for being uh, possibly the uh, best or second best Reds second baseman of all time. Aaron Harang, though, with the upset victory, 67% of the votes to only 33 for Lonnie Fry. And that's a. Uh, I mean, Harang. You, you think you would put him in front of Phillips? No, but I think that I think that for a long time there was an argument. I think that those guys are there. Um, okay. So but, you'd say he'd be third. Phillips would be second. Prop. I mean, yeah, that's probably how I would okay. go. But there's an okay. arg- there's an argument. I'm just I'm just checking on you. Yeah, no, that those are the two guys that are in argument for second best of all time. Um, but Fry, not much support. Uh, Harang, a key member of some awful teams, but really the only good pitcher for a while and better than people realized. Um, and a good guy. And a great guy, absolutely. Uh, big fan of Aaron Harang. He will move on to the next round. Number three seed, Epa Rixie versus number four seed, Don Gullett. Yeah, do you know where Epa Rixie went to college? Let me guess. <laughs> the University of Virginia. Um, how'd you go on this one? I'm interested to hear what you voted on this one. I went to Rick. I went with Rixie. Yeah, Rixie was clearly a better player. But well, he's a Hall of Famer. Right, right. And he won 59% <laughs> of the votes here. But Don Gullett, you know, had an the argument. The very good player. And had an argument for a period, short period of time being the best pitcher in baseball. Just couldn't stay healthy. Yep. Um, so he moves on. Now, the last two matchups in the Great American region. Number seven seed, Gary Nolan. Similar in some respects to Don Gullett in terms of Red's career. Versus number 10 seed, Ken Griffey Sr. I went Gary Nolan here. I did too. I think our voters got this one wrong. Uh, yeah, a little Griffey uh, action here. The number 10 I mean, seed. I mean, Griffey was a good player, but Nolan for years. And, and Nolan, not only was he a really good pitcher for the Reds, he reinvented himself as a pitcher. When he when he was hurt and sat out for over a year, he, he had been a fireballer when he was a younger guy, and he came back as a soft tosser junk guy. And was still really good. Yeah, yeah. King Griffey, though, should he get points? Because we're talking about value provided to the Reds franchise for no. having for having it. Should he get points for having a child no. that also uh, no. hit a lot of home runs for the Reds? No, no, no. Well, King Griffey's moving on, and he'll face the winner of the uh, two fifteen matchup, Sean Casey, the number fifteen seed, versus Joey Votto, the number two seed. Casey, the beloved first baseman, versus Joey Votto, sometimes beloved, sometimes maligned first baseman. You voted for Sean Casey, I'm sure. I voted for the mayor. I love Sean. I love you. Did oh, whoa, you did vote for? No, Casey. I did not. <laughs> yeah, Joey Votto with 97 percent of the votes moves on. Uh, uh, we got a lot of feedback about that one. That uh, you know, oh, it's a tough one because everybody loves Casey, but you know he's going up against Votto. But I, you know, as a 15 C, which is I think probably where Casey belongs, he was always going to face somebody difficult there. So Joey Votto moves on quickly through the uh, round of 32 <laughs> matchups. I just thought of another name, Hal Morris. Hal Morris was in uh, consideration for uh, okay. one of the final spots. Absolutely, uh, had a good career, but just, he was one. He he was, I think, a number one seed in the NIT. Uh, yeah. Moving on. Moving on. The round of thirty-two. Joe Morgan's going to face off against Reggie Sanders, one seed versus nine seed. I got. I got to think Joe Morgan's going to. He won two MVPs during two big seasons for the Reds. You got to think he's going to do well on this bracket all the way through, don't you think? Yeah, well, the two years that Morgan won MVP, he was the best player I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, on on the best team you've ever seen. And so, uh, yeah, uh, Reggie Sanders, underrated among Reds fans, but he's going to go yep. down to a second-round 
loss. Ernie Lombardi, the number five seed, is going to face off against the number four seed, Jose Rijo. Ernie Lombardi, a National Baseball Hall of Famer, widely considered the best catcher in baseball during his time, also the biggest nose in baseball, and the slowest runner. And still won, an, and still won a batting title. And still won a batting title against Jose Rijo, the hero of the 1990 wire-to-wire -wire Reds. What do you think? I, I would take Lombardi. I'm taking Rijo. I think uh, Rijo is underrated. I think he's uh, one of the three best pitchers of the last 50 years for the Reds. Maybe one of the, maybe the best Reds pitcher of the last 50 years. Um, so that'll be an interesting one. The number three seed, Epirixi, is going to face off against an upset winner in the first round, Aaron Harang, the number 11 seed. Got to go Epirixi here, right? Yep. Love Harang, but you can't compare those two careers and say that uh, Harang If you're looking at Rixi, look at his year in 1922. Oh, I remember it. I was a teenager. <laughs> no, you're right. Look at his numbers and compare their numbers because Harang, I love Harang, and I still think he's underrated. Uh, but because the teams he were on were, were awful, he didn't have the win totals. But great career, but if you compare him to two, Rixie, a pretty clear one. Number two seed, Joey Votto, facing off against the number 10 seed, Ken Griffey Sr. Now, how much, how much of a, you know, you were uh, disappointed that Griffey came through over Gary Nolan how close can he make it with Joey Votto? I, probably closer than he should, but Joey, I think Joey will win this by a pretty fair margin. I think so, too. Uh, now, finally, the Palace of the Fans region. And the, the first matchup is Tom Browning's the 16th seed versus the number one seed Pete Rose. Not a close matchup, but the closest of any of the number one seeds. You know, a number one seed could never lose to a 16th seed, but, and they didn't here. Pete Rose with 90% of the votes moves on. Why do you think Pete Rose had the smallest percentage for the number one seeds? Because people are knuckleheads. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, if you want to vote on this thing and vote on it because of what we're talking about, most valuable player, not because you got personal animosity or you think they're a bad person or whatever thing like that. Pete Rose is a player was one of a handful of best players that ever played for this team. Yeah, and they, there are plenty of reasons to dislike Rose to hate Rose, whatever. I mean, listen, if you want to criticize Pete Rose, I'm not going to argue with you, but we're talking about most valuable red. And yes, he was more valuable than, than Tom Browning. Uh, number eight seed, Bucky Walters versus number nine seed, Ted Klazuski. Where'd you go on this one? I went with Walters. I went with Bucky Walters as well. And I think if you compare the two careers, pretty clear that, as a matter of fact, I think Bucky Walters may have been underseated a little bit, was yeah. the best player. Ted Klazuski wins with 83% of the votes. Bucky Walters won an MVP as a pitcher. <laughs> Ted Klazuski cut his sleeves off because he had big biceps. Yep. He had and, big... and was the hitting coach to the big red machine. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> come on. A, a great red, an all-time great red, certainly. Uh, but 83% of the votes, that's a – I don't know about that one, uh, viewers. But he'll move on. The number five seed, Johnny Cueto, versus the number 12 seed, Frank Dwyer. This one was way, because again, you got to look at their stats, but this one was a way bigger margin than I expected. Cueto wins with 99% of the votes, one of the most dominating performances in the first round. Yep. And it's because nobody knows Frank Dwyer, but he was good. Right. Yeah, he was very good. Uh, the next one surprised me and disappointed me, frankly. Uh, I'm, I'm very upset about this one. Yeah, this one is probably my biggest disappointment of the first round. Number four seed, Paul Derringer versus number 13 seed, Tom Seaver. Somebody told me the other day that Seaver played for the Mets, too. Did you know this? Yeah, my great-uncle signed him into his first contract. What a traitor. 
Paul Derringer was a much better red. Yep. It's not even arguable. Not that Seaver wasn't good. Seaver was good as a red. Derringer made six all-star teams as a red. But Tom Seaver gets 62% of the votes to Derringer's 38%. Yeah, that's... So, uh, so the, the, the guys that, that won the uh, World Series in 39 or 40. 40, and, yeah. 40 and won the National League in 39. The two biggest stars were Derringer and Walters, and neither one of them advanced. Both gone. Yeah, you're right. On the, yeah, We're not talking about playing on some awful teams. Playing on some of the most legendary teams in Reds history that you'd know about if you read a certain book I keep talking about. But now Tom Seaver, you know, a Hall of Famer. If we're talking most valuable. I, and he was very good with the Reds. He was. I mean, I can see the argument. I just, I think Derringer was clearly more valuable as a Red. Yep. But, again, we're talking valuable as a, a nebulous concept, as I keep saying, and you all just define it however you want. Number six seed, Noodles Hahn. Another great name. Fantastic name. Versus number 11 seed, Red Lucas. Noodles Han versus Red Lucas. I went with Noodles. I always go with the Noodles. I think I'm going to vote for Noodles and Heine the rest of the way. That'd be a great comedy team. Noodles and Heine. It should be. Yeah, Noodles Han. Look at a good year. Look at Noodles Han's 1901 season. (laughs) Yeah. You remember that one. Yeah, I was... uh... In seventh grade, then. Yeah, good times, good times. Noodle Han's <laughs> 91, Noodle Han, 91% of the votes. He'll move on. The number three seed, George Foster, facing off against the number 14 seed, Ken Griffey Jr. And Foster, with 71% of the votes, comes did, out ahead. Did, did, did the amount that he got, the Griffey, the junior got beat, did that surprise you? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. The margin, the margin surprises me. Yeah, I mean, I thought this one uh, was going to be a close matchup. Uh, I mean, I think we got. I think they got it right, but I. I... Yeah, no, I do too. Uh, I think Foster's. I mean, look at just a Reds career. I mean, Foster was, uh, you know, fantastic. But uh, yeah. Junior's Junior, one of the all-time baseball, you yeah. know, heroes. So he was not an all-time player when he was. By the time he came here, though. No, not with the Reds. Certainly, I mean, no one will argue that. But he's gone in the first round. Ken Griffey Junior. An ignominious defeat. Final two matchups of the round of sixty-four. Number seven seed Mario Soto. Versus the number 10 seed, Ival Goodman. Who'd you go here? I went with Goodman. Oh, you're dead to me. Yeah, not the first time. Mario Soto with 99% of the votes. Goodman was a very good, he was a very good man. He was a very good player. <laughs> he was that as well. Mario Soto, though, is in that conversation with best pitchers of the last 50 years. Unbelievable. And my favorite uh, player growing up. The final matchup, number two seed, Barry Larkin. Versus number 15 seed, the affable Jay Bruce. Obviously Larkin, right? Yep. And Larkin wins with 97% of the votes. So long, Jay Bruce. We still love you. All right, round of 32 matchups in the round or in the Palace of the Fans region. Pete Rose versus Ted Klazuski. That, uh, that's going to be closer than it should be. It's going to be closer than it should be, yes. Again, uh, I'm letting people I, define I, how I, they want to define it, but there's some anti-Pete Rose sentiment that I'm not going to argue against, but I think it's going to hurt him this whole tournament. I agree. Um, number five seed, Johnny Cueto, versus the number 13 seed, Tom Seaver. Cueto with a dominating 99% victory in the first round, but going against Tom Seaver, who's already upset the number four seed. It's going to be Cueto. It should be Derringer. Um yeah, I mean, I think it's Cueto versus Derringer. you got a really fun argument to make there. I think it's clearly should be him over Seaver, but I think that's going to be really close. Next round, number three seed, George Foster. You all right over there? You on a submarine? I'm back. 
I don't know where you went, but you're back. I heard some beeping like you were on a submarine. Is that sonar? Yeah, I was. I was. I, I'm. I've got a Russian destroyer in my yeah. sights. I knew you were an old Navy guy, but I didn't know that. Uh, number three seed George Foster versus number six seed Noodles Han. Good name for Noodles. Probably going down to defeat though, don't you think? Yeah, I think he will. Even though it should be pretty close. Should be. Yeah. Yeah. Noodles Han was unbelievable. Uh, my least favorite matchup of the round of 32, number two seed Barry Larkin versus number seven seed Mario yeah, those Soto. Are, those are two of your all-time favorites. They are. You know, I've had, uh, I usually have a favorite player, you know, and uh, over the years, those are two that were really my favorite players for a long time. So um, I think it's obviously Larkin, right? But, yeah, one's a Hall of Famer, one is not. Yeah, but Soto, um, I love that guy. So anyway, um, any other final thoughts on the, the round of 64 moving into the round of 32, Bill? No. <laughs> um, there you go then just a couple comments we had Steve Mancuso commented no Willie Tavares come on Steve um, <laughs> CFD 3000 says you know the franchise has had some terrific players when the two seeds include two Hall of Famers and one future Hall of Famer Larkin and Perez the Hall of Famers and Votto's the future Hall of Famer that's, that's right there's, that's what I, when, when we go down to 68 there's a lot of depth in this organization a lot of really good players um, yep he said, this is great fun, but I fear some recency bias will creep in. Bid McPhee and Ed Roush were fantastic players. Too bad nobody remembers them. Yes, you're right. And Bid McPhee did go down to defeat. Um, and then he also says, I'm disappointed there's no uh, playing game. And I wish I'd have thought of this. I told him, I wish I'd really thought of this. I should have had a Billy Hamilton versus Billy Hamilton playing for a 16 seed. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Um, you, you, you'd do anything to get Billy Hamilton. Come in, on. In, come on. Comic book superheroes. So, uh, as we said before, what we're going to do is we're going to have the round of 32 matchup. Polls will be up at Red Leg Nation. We'll have links to it everywhere, but you can go Sunday night after 8 o'clock. They'll go live at 8 o'clock on Sunday night, all the polls for the round of 32. And they'll be open until Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. And then we'll come back next week on the podcast and discuss all of the matchups in the uh, from the round of 32. Who won? And then we'll preview the Sweet 16. All right, Bill, uh, anything else you got for me? Nope. They, they got to start hitting. We, we, we just believe that they have to start hitting. There's no question. They have to. I mean, and for one thing, there's nowhere where to go but up. Well, I guess that's, I guess that's true because it can't get me. Well, maybe that's, maybe we're at the bottom. And if that's the case, then we're going to have some fun baseball to watch the rest of the way. Right. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers, toes. There we go. Um, all right. So, uh, you know, subscribe to us, five-star reviews, all that stuff I ask you every week. You know how to do that. Thank you for all the support. If you, you know, if you want to support us over at patreon.com slash redlegradio, uh, please do. I would really appreciate that. You know, I've had people even in the last two weeks uh, approach about doing advertising on the podcast. And I really don't want to do that. Uh, you know, it, it clutters it up and we just like talking reds here. So, so it does help if you support us at Patreon. You don't have to, though. This podcast is going to remain free um, every single Friday. Uh you can find him at Bill Redleg N on Twitter. I'm at Dotson C. We're at Redleg Radio on Twitter. And go to redlegnation.com every day for all your Reds news. Bill, great talking to you again, buddy. Always good talking to you, my friend. For Bill Lack and the snubbed Dan Dreesen, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from redlegnation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at redlegnation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.